Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, July 17th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer is Quatran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. <laughs> Are you okay there, Chris? I, uh, Is everything fine? I'm not feeling today. I'm ready for today to end. So let's let's wrap this up, people. Come on, we got places to be. <laughs> Thirty seconds in. Well, well, we have the weekend coming up, which means that we'll you know be watching TV at home for you know and not going out anywhere. So, so so we have that to look forward to, guys. <laughs> uh, you know, let's discuss what we've been uh, doing. Uh, Brad, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, I got a big promotional package from Peacock, which in case you haven't heard, and there's a chance that you may not have, uh, it's NBC Universal's new streaming service. It, it was previously available for a few months. If you were an Xfinity subscriber, uh, you could access it through your cable block, uh, cable box if you were a certain uh, level of subscriber. Um, but now it's officially out. Wait, 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 Brad. Brad, when when does this Peacock launch? I haven't heard much about this. Like, when when does it? Uh, when are, when is the big ramp up gonna? 
happen. Oh, well, Peter, I'm, I'm sorry to say that the time has come and gone. <laughs> July 15th was the big day for Peacock, so you you missed the big celebration. Um, but yeah, now, now you can download it as an app on your Apple TV. Um, apparently, they're still working out deals with Amazon and Roku, which might be part of the problem as to why it's not being talked about so much. It's not everyone... Uh, can access it from their streaming devices. Um, but just to help spread awareness, they sent me this you know, big box that came with like uh, a puzzle that has a peacock on it with like all the titles of different shows and movies that they have on it, uh, a Cheers mug, some coasters from the shows that are on it, and also a uh, projector, which I was like, what? <laughs> um, but like, I'm not going to be upset about getting a free projector that I can use for, you know, movie nights outside. Um, but yeah, it's all in an effort to get people to, to watch Peacock. <laughs> hmm. So, 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 so you're saying that you're, you're not going to give Peacock a better review because you have a projector from Peacock. I mean, no. Cause like, I, I, I did look at it on, I checked it out cause my, my initial complaint when it was on the cable box was that it was very clunky because it was through the cable boxes user interface. Um, it's definitely smoother on Apple TV. The one thing that I'm still annoyed by, and I'm sure they'll fix this once they get enough complaints is that. If you go to a show or movie to highlight it to see more details or to add it to your watch list, it automatically starts playing a, a trailer or a tease for the show. So if you're getting in and out quickly just to see what the show is, you're immediately blasted by sound from a trailer for it, which is really, really annoying. Um, I hate that. Yeah. Has anybody else here like checked out Peacock since it launched? Not at all. I mean, I just... It's not that I don't need a streaming service because I'm always looking for more options. It's just that nothing on Peacock is screaming, you know, watch me, watch me, watch me. At least HBO Max had uh, the HBO library on top of the uh, TCM stuff, on top of Studio Ghibli, on, whereas Universal is like, hey, we have The Office. And I'm like, but I've watched The Office on, on Netflix a thousand times. Why do I need you right now? That's kind of how they I feel don't, about They Peacock. don't even have The Office yet. Oh, right. Yeah, there we go. See, why? Why, Peacock? Yeah, why? They, they actually, they have, they have uh, channels that you can... Um, look at it but that but it leaves uh, doesn't leave netflix until 2021 so you know th- they have brave new world i looked at the trailer for that and I, I kind of got a little bit interested and then i i looked at the reviews and then i was not interested at all yeah but. it's the, their selection definitely doesn't feel as impressive as hbo max's was um at launch but it's it's not bad so far i'm i'm looking forward to when the original start coming especially because i like ap bio and that's now where that show is going to be. Um, so all, the first two seasons of AP Bio are on Peacock if you want to watch that before the third season comes later this year. You know, I, I haven't been doing anything this week, but I do want to plug something. I did uh, – Walt Disney World reopened in Florida. I obviously am in California. I didn't get to go to that. But uh, Kitra and I just spent uh, the last three days – creating this video kind of showcasing because our, our YouTube channel, Ordinary Adventures, is all about Star Wars and Galaxy's Edge. Uh, we go over, you know, how everything is, how the pandemic has changed Batu and Black Spire Outpost and, you know, how different it is there. And we, we were lucky enough to contact a lot of uh, vloggers and creators that have visited there and we got footage and information and we put together this uh, almost 30 minute video. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but uh, we've spent a lot of time <laughs> creating this thing. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. I, I think it's of interest. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to? Oh, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't done yet. 
Oh, oh, right. you're not done. What else do you got for it, Brad? Well, I'm not going anywhere because I think that's a bad idea right now. So my girlfriend and I set up an inflatable pool in our backyard because in the Midwest it's swelteringly humid and hot and terrible, uh, and we don't have an in-ground pool and we don't have the money to build an above-ground pool. So we just got a nice inflatable pool where we can sit in and relax and cool off, um, and it's been good so far. <laughs> it's definitely better than going to the beach, especially since beaches are reclosing now and people don't know how to live their life there without ruining it for everybody else. Um, but yeah, inflatable pools. Thumbs up for me. So how big is this inflatable pool? It's, it's 100, uh, 120 inches by 72 inches. So 10 feet by 6 feet. I think that's how math works. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's just a good size to sit in um, and, and just relax, basically. Did anybody else just hear a voice scream? What? No, that wasn't a voice. It was it was my phone because I'm terrible all the time. <laughs> it was it was Hathaway's "What Is Love?" Was it not? It, it was Ben. That was a good ear. You would be great on that Shazam game show if it's still on. <laughs> I see to make sure I wasn't going crazy. I think maybe some listeners need to have that affirmation too. So. <laughs> um, with, with most stuff with Brad, I just try to ignore it and move on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. So uh, on the other uh, things that I haven't been liking, and this this is going to be kind of a this is really grinding my gears uh, part of my spiel here. So um, one of my favorite action figure manufacturers is NECA. Um, they've been putting out awesome detailed uh, movie action figures. Um, they used to do a lot. The, I mean, they started doing a lot of Alien and Predator stuff, but more recently they've gotten licenses for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They have new Back to the Future figures coming out. Um, and the Ninja Turtles figures have been extremely popular, especially when it comes to uh, the animated series figures. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, um, it's been very, very hard to get a hold of them all the time. Um, there, there's some kind of reasoning that they are saying that they, they haven't ever fully explained that they don't do pre-orders to make it easier for people to get them. But they always try and pull off these you know, launches with exclusive retailers and stuff like that, where they say it's going to be online at a specific time and the link goes live and it's a nightmare to try and get it. Not just because the site is overwhelmed, but just because apparently the way Walmart and Target inventory works, it slowly uploads the inventory. So like it'll go in and out of stock and keep coming in, coming back. And it's just been a nightmare to do it. Just recently they had a couple new releases and uh, yesterday I was trying one for uh, a two pack with Casey Jones and one of the foot soldiers. It's one of the last two like things that I want to get from the animated turtles line. And it's just been terrible. And then today it, um, Hasbro seemed to have a, a similar issue because Walmart had this like special collector con thing they're doing. That's kind of, kind of in conjunction with comic con, um, but not really where they had like a launch of exclusive stuff that only you could get from walmart.com and included some new star Wars figures, some new Marvel Legends stuff. And I guess it was supposed to launch this morning and it was just a complete clusterfuck because some of the items hadn't been specifically detailed. So it just said Hasbro action figure. And you had to like look around and guess and figure out which one was the one you wanted. Um, so I just, I don't know what's going on with like some of these, you know, with the toy companies, like, but like get your shit sorted out and figure out how to like get stuff to the people who want it. Cause right now it's going to bots and scalpers who are just turning around and putting it on eBay immediately and screwing over people out of money that they want to spend on more action figures. So NECA Hasbro, wh whoever out there is doing stuff like this, like, please try to be better about this because it's really frustrating as a collector. 
Yeah. And this isn't Brad just complaining. I, I've seen this across my Twitter feed. A lot of people are upset over this. Like, it, it seems like there there must be a better way. I'm not sure what the better way is, because I don't think like even like a company like Mondo that releases, you know, limited edition screen prints, like it, people even complain about them. So, like, Brad, what would be the better way? Like, how would you fix this? I don't even know, because like one, one of the big problems is the bots and scalpers. And like it's it's tough to fight against them because the people that create these you know systems, they make them so sophisticated and they get around loopholes that try to stop them. So I, I really don't know what the, the solution is. You know, I, I would say that maybe the solution is just to make more, at least when it comes to the toys, because like I can understand the limited edition appeal of, you know, prints and certain uh, vinyl LPs and stuff that Mondo does. But a lot of these toys that like NECA and Hasbro are making, they are so popular that like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to just make more and more of them when you know they're going to, to sell, you know? Like, at the very least, if you want something to be limited edition, make a limited edition version of it that the collectors will be hungry for, and then make a regular version that is slightly different. That happens all the time. And so if you, I feel like if you just split it up like that and just make it easier to get, get a hold of and maybe lose some of the exclusivity by having a, a different version, then maybe it won't be so, so hard and such a mad dash to get these items. I don't understand, like, a company like Hasbro, they, they have that, like, Kickstarter thing that they have. What is it called? Haslab? Has, yeah, Haslab, yeah. Like, why not use that for, like, things to just, like, as almost like as a pre-order? Do you know what I mean? Like, you could anticipate demand, be able to fulfill all the people who want it within, like, a timed period. I don't know. It, it's just, NECA, yeah. NECA said something yesterday because they got tons of complaints from people from the Bosch uh, Ninja Turtles launch that... They said that there, um, there's a lot of intricacies when it comes to the licensing rights as far as, like, I think with likenesses and stuff. So part of me wonders if maybe, like, the deals only allow for a certain number of figures to be made and then they have to do, like, a, a new deal or something like that. So maybe they can't do, like, as big a production run initially as they, they want to. I, I really don't know. Okay, Chris, I'm going to throw it to you again, and this time Brad is not going to interrupt you. What have you been up to? All right. Uh, so I, I was just making sure. I didn't want anyone to cut in. Um, so uh, I recorded another episode of 21st Century Spielberg. This episode is about uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and the Adventures of Tintin. And I just have a uh, uh, something to add here. I, I tried to do something different with this episode because um, I want to point out all the all almost all of the reviews I've gotten for this podcast on iTunes are overwhelmingly positive, but because I am insane and can only focus on the negative, <laughs> uh, I have one negative review as far as I can see. And the negative review says, <clears throat> gives me one star. And it says, quote, I have never heard someone sound more in pain and agony when they speak than this guy. <laughs> So let me go off on a little rant here. Uh, my, my voice has been a blessing and a curse for most of my life. The The deepness of my voice, the timber of my voice, the sound of my voice, it started sounding like this in like fifth grade. Like when I was that young, that's how my voice just started to sound. And when I was younger, I used to get made fun of a lot for having just such a deep, growly voice. At the same time, I've had a lot of people compliment my voice over the years and say they actually like the sound of it. I've even had people say, you should become an audiobook narrator because I really like your voice. I, I was going to say that. It's like a radio voice. So, yeah. And yet, at the same time, I get shit all the time, mostly from listeners of this podcast, uh, <laughs> Slash Film Daily, and also <laughs> now my pick, podcast that my voice is just 
uh, I just sounds like uh, the Grim Reaper coming up from the underworld. And listen, I can't help it. This is how I sound. Please, I'm begging you. I'm not trying to sound <laughs> gravelly or angry. That's just how my voice sounds. I, I'm trying really hard not, not to sound like uh, I'm at death's door. It's just how my voice sounds. So for this latest episode of 21st Century Spielberg, I tried to loosen up as much as I possibly could and get a little silly with my narration. I tried very hard. So please. And uh, this is all directed at this one person who gave me an, a one star review. I am begging you shut the fuck up. <laughs> I like Chris, your voice, Chris, but also I, do too. I did not know that it's been around since you were a kid, and I'm very curious what nine-year-old Chris... Is that how long it's been around? Just it, sounds, it sounds pretty much exactly like this. What you're uh, hearing right now is what nine-year-old... Oh, my God. I would love to hear this voice coming out of a nine-year-old kid. It would, it would, <laughs> yeah, do, do you have, like, video footage of you as a kid? I, I mean, I don't have it, like... If I do, it's on like VHS somewhere, and I, I, you know. I want to see like Chris on on an old home video, like at a birthday party, wearing the the leather jacket and smoking a cigarette and talking the exact same way he does now, <laughs> <laughs> or telling Santa Claus how disappointed he is this year. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But I will say this is so relatable because you know on. Uh, ordinary adventure like when you put yourself out there in more personal ways like i feel like when when you write your opinions on a website people criticize what you wrote or how you wrote it but like once you start doing a podcast like it's more personable and people feel like they can be more honest with you i guess i'll, I'll put it that way uh on our youtube channel ordinary adventures like we get i would say like 999 comments out of a thousand are positive but it's that one negative comment like saying something about my weight or saying whatever it is that like drives me insane it'll drive me insane for like the entire day so yeah i i totally relate to that and it's like yeah look i i could i can take criticism but please don't give my podcast one star because you don't like my voice like just don't listen to it all right just just just, just, just drop dead. That's what I'm saying. Drop dead immediately. <laughs> wow. Okay, that got dark. Um, so, wait. So, in your latest episode, like we we have like a more happier Chris. Like a. I like just tried to make it more more bouncy. I guess is the word I put for it. At the same time, it's not like I'm not acting like a goofball. I'm just trying. I'm trying to make everyone happy. Is what I'm saying because I can't. I can't stand the idea that some stranger I will never ever meet does not like how I sound on a podcast. So I'm trying to make literally everyone in the world happy, which I know is, is literally impossible, but I am mentally unwell. So this is how I approach things. Chris, I think there's one easy solution here, and it's just to inhale helium before you record the podcast. All right. They'll, they'll, the next episode, I'll try that. Yeah, just put it at like uh, two times speed. Then yeah. you'll sound like the Elvin and Chiffman. Uh, what, what if like you do like a drunk episode where you like drink a lot before you record? Uh, I mean, who's to say I'm not drunk right now? Peter? <laughs> <laughs> we that for our episode, Chris. That's right. The next, the next episode, uh, the next guest episode, HT is the guest. So Yay. everyone, stay tuned for that. And uh, what movies I'll are you going to be talking about? Element that all your your audiences are craving, Chris. <laughs> yeah. It's going to, yes, it's going to be on these movies. So like, like I, I've said in the past, 
I do two episodes a month. One is the first episode is just me talking about the two movies. And the second episode is I bring on a guest to talk about those same two movies. So HT will be on the, the guest episode for Crystal Skull and Tintin. Okay, cool. Uh, let's move on to what we've been reading. Jacob, what have you been reading this week? I've been reading The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn, and this came about because I saw this book pop up in my Amazon recommend recommendation somehow, and I realized that I don't know a lot about Jonestown or Jim Jones, all other than other than beyond, you know, he was a cult leader who forced thousands of his followers to commit suicide, uh, some by choice, some by force. And it's become sort of a punchline, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, you know, and all the stuff that's been, has emerged since this happened, uh, you know, in the 70s. And I was realizing I, I knew so little, I picked it up, I started reading it, and it's a really, really gripping book. Uh, it's written by, written by Jeff, Jeff Gwynn, who's an investigative journalist, and it, and it really reads like like a really well-researched, level-headed biography of a monster. Um, and what's really fascinating about it is that like a lot of monsters, it really delves into the personal damage from, from when he was a child, uh, either inherited or learned, uh, goes into, you know, his youth and how so much of what led him to do horrible things came from a core initial need to do good, uh, that became warped and warped and warped until it became unrecognizable. And I'm about a third of the way through. It's a very thick, very long book, but it reads really fast. It, 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 uh, it has a really good flow to it. It doesn't get bogged down. And as someone who has wrongfully in the past thought like, Oh, who's dumb enough to follow a cult leader? Uh, I'm now smart enough, you know, and wiser enough in my adult years, they've realized, Oh, you know, people are victims in their own, in many different ways. So learning about how somebody, how, how a victimizer controls his victims has been enlightening. Uh, but also on top of that, just a really, really fascinating true crime book. Uh, I recommend it to everybody, especially Chris. Chris, this is very much a reality. That is uh, The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn. And Chris, you've also been reading this week. Uh, yes, I, I blew through Paul Tremblay's latest book, uh, Survivor Song. Uh, man, this is... I don't say this lately, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but this is like one of the best horror novels I've 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 read in my life, and I I read a lot of horror novels. Um, it might not be for everyone because it's about a virus outbreak, and obviously this was written before everything that's happening right now is happening. But it makes the book ten times scarier because there's stuff that happens in this book that is eerily similar to things going on right now. Um, but the gist of the book is there's this uh, rabies-like virus spreading through New England. And the book basically takes place over the, the course of one very long day. And uh, the opening chapter is, is one of the, the scariest things I, I've ever read, where this, this very pregnant woman, she's close to giving birth, uh, a, a rabies, uh, someone infected with a rabies breaks into our house, kills her husband, and then bites her. And then the rest of the book is her and her friend who is a doctor trying to get her to a hospital so they can deliver the baby before the, you know, the virus takes over her body. And it's just, it's, it's just a really well-written book. It's very disturbing. It's very emotional. It, it like got me like emotional several times. And so again, I know this isn't going to be for everyone right now because it's, it's <laughs> reflecting, current events but if you're looking for a great horror novel i can't recommend this enough it, it's it's so well written and in, like i said that that first chapter alone had me like on edge which i rarely am just because i'm so i i you know i watch so much horror i read so much horror i'm i'm desensitized to it but 
So anytime something that comes along that actually gets me like this, I, I know I'm, I'm uh, experiencing something uh, great. So I, I can't recommend this enough. Okay. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, let's start first with Palm Springs uh, before I throw it over to Brad HT and Jacob. I want to say I talked about this last week and I think I said it was very good, but not great. And I had just seen it the day before. And in the last week, I've been thinking about this movie. I want to rewatch it again. Like, I, I, I actually I'm going to up my my uh, opinion on this. Like, I've just like it, it just have, it's kind of like been an earworm inside my head. Like, I, I just keep on thinking about it. I, I think my hesitation to uh, my if I had any problems with it uh, last week, one thing I wasn't saying is there was a script I read, I want to say, like eight or nine years ago called Amaranth which I think went on to Bad Robot under a different name. It was like a, a movie that took place on a spaceship. It has not been produced, but uh, because the two people who wrote it, uh, it was a genius script, but the two people who wrote it, I think wanted to direct it or something. And that had a hitch in it, but it was a time loop story and it had many of the same like clever conceits of this film were in that so it kind of felt like they read that and like we're like let's do that in a romantic comedy but i'm not i'm I'm not accusing them of doing that like i'm I'm sure uh you know whoever wrote palm springs uh came up with this on their own and it's just like a evolution of this concept uh but uh anyways that, that 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 was just to give you a little bit more mindset after what i said last week uh brad what did you think of palm springs uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a refreshing spin on the time loop scenario. Uh, it doesn't waste a lot of time with um, having the characters figure out that they're in a time loop. It kind of just jumps right into it and like just assumes that you can understand what it, what it means when it's revealed that that's what's happening. Um, and it I, it plays with it by just letting the characters, you know, kind of have, have fun in the environment until the, you know, the real meat of the story starts to kick in and the, you know, the, the character arcs take over. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti are great in this, in this movie. I will say that I, as much as I liked it, I don't think it quite uses the premise to its full potential. And I almost would have liked to have seen it uh, utilized in a TV series instead and see how they could have expanded the story um, cause I, I, I kind of pictured it as a concept that could have expanded even more in the same way that last man on earth, the series starring, uh, Will Forte, uh, was able to expand from something that didn't feel like it could sustain itself for an entire series, but then kept, you know, getting bigger and bigger and introducing new ways to make the story compelling. And I think that could be done here with this idea. So, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, you know, they figure out a way to turn the, the concept into a, a series at some point, especially with how popular the movie has been. I've seen tons of people talking about it on social media and elsewhere, but it's really funny. Um, it, it doesn't quite feel like a Lonely Island movie. It feels like, you know, uh, indie filmmakers almost trying to make a Lonely Island movie, uh, which makes sense since it's not necessarily directly from, you know, Lonely Island as far as like their their minds or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. And it's definitely worth checking out on Hulu. HT, what did you think of Palm Springs? I really enjoyed it too. I I also thought it was very refreshing take on the time loop movie, especially in the building in the rom-com element, but also making Kristen Miliotti's character in on the whole like time loop part because you know I remember, I know that a lot of the criticisms with Groundhog Day, which is kind of the OG um, 
version, the template for this kind of movie was that uh, the woman, the lead, the female romantic um, lead in that is kind of unaware of all of this happening. And so the issues of consent and everything are in that. And I like that that's built into this movie as well. Um, and I, I just, I love Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti's uh, chemistry. It's just really good and really fun. And one of my favorites in a rom-com that I've seen recently. And um, I, it's, it's just so fun and charming. I, I enjoyed how absurd it got at times. I liked how it didn't really care about the why of it all as much as it cared about these two core characters as well as J.K. Simmons' character, who I did not expect to be in this movie. I, for some reason, had it completely passed me by that he was in this film. And he was a really fun sort of um, core, like a like a surprise in that in the film and I, I actually I know that in our slack we talked about uh, some people I think didn't really enjoy his character but I, I thought it was it worked with the sort of absurdity of the film and I, I just really liked um, the the energy that he brought to it and um, Andy Samberg gives a great performance too I I quite like the how the film sort of slowly introduces the I guess I'm not going to go into too many spoilers that the fact that he's been in this time loop for quite a while and uh it, that contrast with him and Kristen Milioti's character is really interesting and fun and he plays it really well as if he's uh, as if like this nihilism has become kind of his character and I like that that sort of a uh, element of it so I I liked it a lot it, I thought it was um I get your guys criticisms but um I just I just really enjoyed it I think it's uh one of my favorite films I think I've seen this week this year <laughs> this week this week uh, this year J- jacob what did you think of palm springs uh this is my favorite film of the year so far i know this year has been kneecapped by a lot of things maybe there's an asterisk <laughs> there uh but i love this film with all my heart i think it's absolutely wonderful and i love that it, it maybe it's comparable to groundhog day and that's both time movies uh but whereas groundhog day is pretty much a movie about you know from, from a time period where the repetition is about oh let's become a better person uh, if you become nicer, if you become kinder, um, you know the world. The world will accept you. You'll have a happier life. Whereas Palm Springs, not getting the spoilers, is very much about how you, in 2020 you can't just be nice. You you got to pull yourself up and, and work hard because the universe is is not a kind place, and you got to push through, break through, and find your own way out of this mess. And that to me really resonated. And there's when you have our end of the year discussion. There's a scene I want to talk about in particular. The very end, where Andy Samberg and Chris Milati's character uh, have an exchange that, for me, sums up so much of what makes a long-term relationship beautiful, uh, and why uh, why I love my wife, and why our nearly ten years together has is something remarkable and special to me. And I, it's it's summed up in a really wonderful exchange that I'm still mulling over in my head. Uh, it's, it's such a funny, charming movie. It's a wise movie. Uh, it buries its wisdom in a lot of really funny jokes. And I, um, I'm also pro J.K. Simmons subplot. I think it's really funny. And it's a really strong reflection and a reaction to what's going on in the other corners of the movie. Uh, I think Palm Springs is probably my favorite time loop movie uh, ever. Edging out to Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, edging out Groundhog wow. Day. Yeah. Uh, I think it's... I, I'm looking forward to watching it again. And if you haven't watched it yet, here's my endorsement. Go watch Palm Springs. Yeah, I think we anybody that even has criticism says that this is one of the better movies this year. So you should go watch it. But now that Brad has suggested Palm Springs is the TV series, I can't quite like I, I'm now like in my head, like that would be kind of cool with more people kind of being let into this world over time. 
and being being trapped. I think that could be. I don't know. Anyways, okay. Uh, I want to spoil anything about this movie. Uh, let's move on to the Beach House. Jacob, tell us about it. Yeah, this is a new uh, Shutter original in the Shutter Horror streaming service, uh, written directed by Jeffrey A. Brown, and it is a horror movie about a young couple who visit their parent or sorry his parents' beach house. Find that a family friend, a, a couple, an older couple, is already staying there. They decide, hey, let's let's hang out and enjoy and enjoy each other's company, and they do for the first half or so first. 40 or so minutes of the movie and then uh the waves of the nearby beach and the winds bring in something truly horrible that begins to do horrible things to them and the community and uh body horror ensues i think this is mostly good uh i like how it does not over explain itself it, it leaves you in the mindset of characters who encounter something really inexplicable and terrible and have to deal with it without understanding why and i like the idea that so much of the ex- explanation is hinted at in the margins i wish it was maybe I wish it was scarier. I wish it was grosser. There's some really, really nasty scenes. But I feel like it peaks early with the horror and it peters out in the end. And I wasn't a big fan of the final stretch of the film. Uh, but I think maybe the middle half hour or so is genuinely uh, unsettling and very spooky uh, and made me shudder a lot. There's some really, really good foot horror. If you're upset by things happening to feet, <laughs> maybe not watch the beach house. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. I, I liked it for the most part. I liked the gross out stuff. Uh, it's a very good Lovecraftian movie that isn't actually an adaptation of Lovecraft. I, I, I tend to find that the best Lovecraft movies are the movies that aren't actually adapted from his work, like this and In the Mouth of Madness and, and The Thing, because they, they're not trying to recreate his text. They're just trying to recreate that feel of cosmic unexplainable nasty horror that can drive you insane just by looking at it and i i i dig that when it's done well so yeah i mean this isn't like a great horror movie but it's 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 pretty good okay and that uh where can you find the beach house uh, it's exclusively streaming on shutter which if, you, if you're a horror fan don't have shutter but now chris and i talk about it every damn week get shutter it's great Okay, the uh, the only real uh, new thing I've been watching this week is I watched this documentary called Game Master. I'm actually surprised you haven't watched this yet, Jacob. Like, this seems totally down your alley. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We have an interview with the director coming uh, timed to uh, Gen Con, the big uh, now online board game convention. Uh, but uh, I'm waiting for them to send me a screener because I arranged an interview. So let's see if that happens. <laughs> Well, I rented this on Apple TV. I think it cost me like five bucks. And if you want to own it, it's like a couple bucks more. Uh, But I just paid to rent it. And this is a documentary. It's about the board game world. They the conceit of the documentary is that they're following four board game designers as they are trying to make it in this in this, you know, board game. like It's tabletop world. And uh for the most part, this is talking heads. Uh, you know, we get to see a little bit of like, you know, the going ons, like the making of a board game, uh, Gen Con, the conventions, uh, even like the Spiel de Jures, which is kind of like the Oscars of board games and how that works. It, it, it's very interesting for especially for someone, I think, that doesn't really know much about the board game or tabletop universe, because it's like this whole corner of this like world that is so fascinating and so intricate and uh, i feel like a lot of people don't know it beyond you know putting monopoly on their on their table but uh this is interviews with some huge designers uh my favorites like eric lang matt leacock 
the designer of uh, Catan, uh, who is that? Klaus Treiberg, I think his name is. And uh, um, it, it, it follows the guy that created Exploding Kittens, which is one of the biggest Kickstarters ever. Um, the, it follows this uh, Pakistani woman who has moved to America, and she makes a game about running away from an arranged marriage based on her true life story, which is very interesting. Another guy is creating a game called thug life. And uh, the, the fourth one is this guy that created this game called trekking the national parks, which uh, he self-produced and has become popular. And the, the, the problems that uh, are, that come with that because uh, you know, shipping cardboard is heavy. It's expensive. Uh, the whole process is very interesting. This you know, is not just like a glorification of the tabletop universe. This explores uh, problems, you know, diversity in the gaming industry, uh, you know, how, you know, it's a lot of white guys getting chances to, you know, <laughs> create games over and over again. Uh, I don't know. I, I recommend it. I think it's a, a good doc. I I wouldn't say it it's great because it's it's a lot of talking heads. It's a lot of people telling you about stuff. It's beautifully shot though. They have like beautiful like close ups of board games and uh, eye candy. I'll say this much: uh, Kitra does is not really interested in tabletop world whatsoever, and she was not on her phone at all during this movie. So I think people that do are not like into tabletop gaming would find this just as fascinating as people that like are into this kind of thing. So uh, that's called game master. And that is available. I think to rent on like all sorts of services, including like Apple TV, which is where I rented it on iTunes. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, I've been watching more of unsolved mysteries. Uh, the first episode was really great. The second episode was good. And I feel like this show, I haven't reached the last episode, but, I feel like it's been very diminishing returns as it's gone on. It, it might be that these are stories that I don't think require a like hour long series, you know, unsolved mysteries used to be, you know, a bunch of different stories in one episode. And also the, it, it, I mentioned this in my first reaction uh, to the first episode, but like intrinsically with this concept, it's anticlimactic because you're going with this true crime story that has all these twists and turns. And then at the end, it's like, and we don't know the ending. So, uh, but I think, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed in the, the later half of this season. Uh, has anybody else been wa- finishing up unsolved mysteries here? More UFO episodes. I'm fine with it. More UFO episodes, please. That's all I'll say. Like, I feel like that UFO episode was not that compelling. I, I did not believe I don't know. It just seemed like crazy people to me. I don't know. Like, I I remember them when I was a kid. And it really seemed scary and, like, like believable. But, like, these people, I don't know. I didn't believe these people. Well, keep in mind, Peter, you are an adult now. So yeah. <laughs> your, your, your sense of perception on these things changes as you get older. I, I, I guess it just seems the evidence wasn't as big as it was. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's my perspective as well. So, yeah, there's that. Um, but, okay, Jacob, what have you been watching this week? Uh, my main thing I watched was The Old Guard, uh, Gina Prince-Blythewood's new Netflix action movie based on the comic series uh, written by Greg Rucka, who wrote the screenplay, and artist Leandro Fernandez. And I had read the comic. It's still ongoing, and I enjoy it quite a bit. So I was, I was primed to like this, and I, I mostly did. 
I think there's even though Rucker wrote the screenplay, there are some conventions added here that aren't in the comic that make it feel a little bit more boilerplate, a little bit simpler. There's a ticking clock element added uh, late in the film that is not in the comic at all, and I think actually kind of diminishes um, the story and the action a bit. Uh, but yeah, but as far as like B tier action movies go, this one works just fine. It's extremely violent. The action is competent. Uh, Charlie Theron as the immortal lead character is fantastic. She's having so much fun uh, just playing that, playing uh, Furiosa 2.0 in a lot of ways, but. I'll take it. I'll happily take Charlie Theron with a great haircut, smashing people over the head with blades and weapons all, uh, any day. Uh, this was, um, I'll say, I'll say as much. My wife loved it. She loved all the female characters. She loved, um, uh, all, she she loved all the female representation on screen, and she loved Charlize Theron, and she loved Kiki Lane, who plays like the, uh, the the a new character who joins Charlize Theron's group of immortal mercenaries. I don't think it's great. Uh, she thought it was great, so if it may take that from what, what she will, but uh, I think New Guard is totally fine. You know, B B plus level fun. Uh, that's streaming on Netflix right now. I know Chris reviewed this and did not care for it. Did anyone else catch the New Guard yet? Or the old guard? I'm sorry, the old guard. Uh-oh. <laughs> I just didn't have any interest in it. I don't know. The, the trailer did not compel me. Like the action in the trailer did not look that great. Oh, it's fine. It's good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And that's the old guard. Um, if you, yeah. if, if, yeah, um, I, I can't give like a sterling recommendation, but I can recommend it as a, as a good two hours spent. Uh, and also, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've been watching Shit's Creek and, this is why I spent pretty much most of my time this week doing is watching Shit's Creek because it went from being the first season, which I thought was fine, which I thought was entirely pleasant and totally watchable, to being a legit great show that makes me uh, want to cry and laugh every single episode. Uh, it is I'm in the middle of season four right now and gives me real Parks and Recreation vibes. I mean, the basic setup sounds like uh, Arrested Development 2.0, but unlike Arrested Development, which is a show about bad people uh, becoming increasingly awful, uh, this is a show about people becoming increasingly good and building a community and i think Shit's creek is one of the warmest most subtle most well-performed uh sitcoms i've seen in a few years uh especially since probably since parks and recreation so if you're missing parks and rec as much as i am uh Shit's creek has a similar slow build to where it to where it gets great uh but once it's great which is i'd say around mid-season two and it becomes a show that i think is remarkable uh and that's Shit's creek um first five seasons are on netflix right now and i'm watching it pretty much nonstop when this when i sign off work uh, tonight i am watching more shit's creek brad what have you been watching this week uh only one other thing uh i've kept it pretty low-key i've been just doing some other things and trying to relax and uh keep reading that office book and whatnot um but i my girlfriend wanted to watch this documentary called david foster off the record um and i was not very familiar with uh david foster but I came to find out that he is one of the most successful record producers of all time, and he has produced an insane amount of hit songs and worked with some of the biggest names um, in the business. He has an incredible career that spans so long. He's worked with uh, the likes of Earth, Wind & Fire and Chuck Berry and uh, Celine Dion, Luciano um, uh, Pavarotti, um, or sorry, Andrea Bocelli, um, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, uh, the number of songs that he has his name attached to is uh, absolutely ridiculous. He's also an incredibly skilled musician. He actually plays um, a wide variety of instruments, and he has played piano with um, various acts that he's uh, worked with over the years on stage. And um, the documentary is fascinating. Um, if you don't know anything about him, it's pretty basic as far as uh, presentation, a lot of talking heads. I, I found myself kind of frustrated that there wasn't a little more – uh, archival footage of him like working in the studio because they rely a lot on 
promotional stills, publicity stills of him, like after he won Grammys or was like promoting albums or got interviewed and things like that. And I wish that there was just more from his life and from his career to help kind of support it. Um, like it's the talking heads are great because it speaks with, you know, all of the artists he's, he's worked with. Um, and there's great, you know, showbiz stories there. Um, and then the one thing that I was, I was disappointed at is there's a, there's a thread that runs through the entire documentary because he's kind of, um, he's trying to, uh, get a Broadway sh- show off some some kind of Broadway show off the ground because he uh, really is vying to win a Tony, but it's a thread that doesn't really resolve itself very well and feels like it makes the documentary kind of sputter out a little bit towards the end. But uh, besides that, it's just the the story of, of Foster himself and just finding out about how much influence and uh, success he's had as a record producer was uh, was pretty fascinating. And that's on Netflix. Chris, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I watched Tesla, which is the the new biopic about Nikola Tesla starring uh, Ethan Hawke. This played at Sundance and I missed it there. So I, I recently got a screener. And man, oh man, did I love this. This is uh, definitely like in my, my top 10 at the moment. It's so much fun and it's so, uh, it's so different than what you're expecting. It is by no means... Uh, a cookie cutter by the numbers biopic. For instance, there is a scene where Tesla does karaoke in this film. <laughs> there is also a scene where he and Thomas Edison have an ice cream fight where they're shoving ice cream into each other's faces. It's just, what? it's a very weird, funny, different approach to a biopic. Like there's one of the, like the framing device for the movie is, is one of the characters who is supposed to exist at the time of Tesla uh, on a laptop surfing Google. And it's like, it, like, it just completely defies all. Wait, con- what? I'm telling you, it's very different and very good. So if, if like, if you're like, if you just saw the title of this and you were like, Oh, great. Another boring biopic. This is the complete opposite of that. It's so interesting. Ethan Hawke is really good. I, I really like that. Ethan Hawke doesn't bother to try and do like an accent here. Uh, it's just, it's just a fascinating film. And it's really interesting because the movie is telling almost the same exact story as uh, the current war, which is that movie that got delayed for a long time. It eventually came out. And even though it's telling basically the same story, it does it in such a different, interesting way. And it, it's just, it's this movie is proof that you can make a biopic that doesn't have to stick so rigidly to the two conventions. I wish more biopics would, take this like weird, almost surreal approach. So uh, it comes out, I forget when it comes out. It comes out later this year, but it's, it's, it's really, I think it comes out next month. I want to say, but um, I, I really urge you to seek this out when, when it's out. It, it's so much fun. Hmm, interesting. Uh, it, it, last week we mentioned supermarket sweep. You watched that as well. Yes. So this is on Netflix now. And I remember I, this was always on at my grandparents' house whenever I was there and I was familiar with it. And I, you know, I remembered how it worked, but uh, my wife and I, we were looking for something stupid to watch just to, you know, distract ourselves from the nightmare that is reality. And man, oh man, I can't believe this was ever a real show. It's, it's so weird. And like the whole show is basically just this owed to consumerism and it's unapologetic in the way it's just like touting brand names and it's people just 
running around supermarkets, grabbing stuff off of shelves. And when they're not doing that, they're answering questions about products. And I was watching it and I was just sort of like stunned. I was like, how did this ever like exist? It, it's just so like surreal. And I can't imagine anyone ever thinking like, yeah, this is the show we gotta, we gotta make. And the weird thing is like, the version that's on Netflix is the nineties version. And that wasn't even the first version of the show. Like the original version was actually in the sixties and then they brought it back in the nineties. And it's like, people are just all in on this idea of making a game show completely devoted to supermarkets. And it's also feels like a weird time capsule now because, you know, we can't really go to supermarkets casually right now unless we you know we got to put on masks we got to wait in lines and this show is just all about like taking that for granted just people hanging out in a a supermarket set and running around and screaming about products a lot of which don't exist anymore because it's from the 90s it's just this very strange time capsule everyone has like big hair and hideous sweaters it's a treat <laughs> I, I i like if you're looking for something like ridiculous to watch that you don't have to like put much brain power into. I can't recommend uh supermarket sweep on Netflix enough. Chris comes back. Dudley Jones is hosting a reboot. Very oh, wow. hopefully, hopefully slash wearingly uh, soon ish. It was supposed to come out this year, but I think COVID suspended it, but look for the 2020 edition of supermarket sweep. Um, which I can't imagine what that looks like, uh, but in the near future. Yeah, see, I can't imagine it'll even be as good because, like, part of the fun of this version is that it's so 1990s. Like, a lot of the questions are about, like, 90s things that no one would, like, understand right now. It's just, it's, I I don't even understand why Netflix was like, yeah, we're putting this out there right now. Because it's like, I can't imagine people were, like, dying to watch this. And again, I'm having so much fun watching it, so maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. This is the third piece of Slash Home content to mention it in a a week span. We talked about it last week. I wrote an article about it, and now we bring it up again. So clearly, they did something right. I guess so, (laughs) Is this presented in, like, four by three... Like pan and scan, like uh, I guess it's not pan and scan because it's just four it's by just, three. You know, it, it, yeah, it's got that that square cropped '90s TV look to it. Yeah, yeah. looks like garbage. <laughs> yeah, it looks awful. But yeah, but the, but again, that's part of the charm. Like I enjoy how awful it looks. I don't know. I can't even explain it. There, there was something about consumerism in like the '80s and '90s. Like, remember when like going to the mall and hanging out at the mall was like a cool thing to do. I don't know. It's, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they, and wasn't there like also like a cooking show version of this, like Guy Ferrari? There are actually like and- a lot of ver- shows that sort of take this format. But yeah. There's like a, it's called like Guy's Grocery Games, where at the end they have to like cook the things they shot for. But that's, it's just not as fun. I, I don't like, I, you know, I just want to see people in hideous 90s sweaters running around. <laughs> Okay, what else have you been watching, Chris? Uh, finally, I watched the new Criterion uh, Bruce Lee box set. It's it's called Bruce Lee: His Greatest Hits, and obviously, I knew who Bruce Lee was. You know, and I had um, I was familiar with his work, but I have to admit, the only Bruce Lee movie I had ever watched from beginning to end before this box set was uh, Enter the Dragon, and I feel like that's kind of true for most people. I feel like anyone knows Bruce Lee, they know him from Enter the Dragon because that was his. It was both his big Hollywood break, but it also came out uh, like two months after he died. So it sort of had this like uh, legends associated with it. And so this this box set covers all his his Kung Fu movies. Um, 
Bruce Lee, uh, he had actually made like 21 movies before he, he actually became a star. And he made 21 movies in Hong Kong. Then he left and went to America. Uh, he went to Hollywood and he was trying really hard to make it in Hollywood. And he landed uh, the, the, the role of Cato on uh, the Green Hornet. And he hated that because, you know, it made him, you know, a houseboy, literally. And that got canceled after one season. And he just kept trying to make it in Hollywood. And, you know, because Hollywood was so racist at the time and, you know, is today, uh, he was just not getting really generic, uh, stereotypical Asian roles. And he got this two film offer from uh, Golden Harvest, which was this uh, Hong Kong film studio back in Hong Kong. And he was really in debt at the time because he was living in LA and he, he was buying expensive cars and living in expensive houses, but he couldn't really afford that. So he was like, all right, I'll go back to Hong Kong. I'll make these two movies just to make money. And uh, the first movie was called the big boss. And as fate would have it, that movie ended up being huge in Hong Kong. It was like the biggest box office hit in Hong Kong ever at the time. And it made him into this huge star. And he made um, two more movies in Hong Kong there. And then Hollywood was finally like, all right, we want you, Bruce Lee. Come, come make Enter the Dragon. And of course, tragically, you know, he died just as he was about to become this international star. And so the, the box set collects all those films. It also collects this really strange movie called Game of Death, which came out a few years after Bruce Lee died. Uh, after he died, this whole subgenre sprung up called Bruce Plotation, where studios would just find actors who sort of looked like Bruce Lee and they had names sort of similar to him where there was like Bruce Lee, but the last name was spelled L I instead of L E E. And they would sort of just try and fool audiences in being like, Oh, this is a lost Bruce Lee movie. Even though Bruce Lee was not in the film. <laughs> that's, and that's so racist. It's, it's just, it was nuts, but it was like, they made a fortune off these movies and golden harvest, the studio, that had all uh, the Bruce Lee stuff tried to avoid it for a long time. They didn't want to do it, but they saw how much money everyone was making. And they were like, all right, we got to get in on this action. And before he died, Bruce Lee had shot about 30 minutes of footage for this movie called game of death. And they were like, golden harvest had the footage and they were like, look, we have this footage. We want to make money off of the Bruce Lee thing. Let's, let's find a way to make it work. And so they cut down the 30 minutes of footage to seven minutes of footage. I don't know why they made it shorter. And then they shot this movie around it with um, uh, several different stand-ins for Bruce Lee. And none of them look like Bruce Lee. So to, to hide that, they have this, they keep having the, the stand-in actors shot in shadows or they're wearing big sunglasses. And midway through the movie, the, the character who's supposed to be Bruce Lee gets shot in the face. So he has to wear bandages over his face for half the movie. And they just come up with all these goofy ways to try and hide that it's not Bruce Lee. And at one point, my favorite part is they literally have a scene where the actor who's supposed to be Bruce Lee is sitting uh, in front of a mirror. And what they did was they, they took a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee's real face, taped it on the mirror. And then the actor <laughs> sat behind that. And then they shot the camera into the mirror. So it's so clearly just a piece of paper on a mirror, but we're supposed to believe it, it's like Bruce Lee just sitting there. And it's just so, sur it's just a really surreal movie because it's, it's, it's almost ghoulish in a way because they actually sh take footage of Bruce Lee's real funeral and put it in this movie. Cause part of the subplot is about the character Bruce Lee is playing fakes his death. And so they, like they shot, like they actually took real footage of Bruce Lee, the real Bruce Lee in his coffin 
and cut it into this movie. And it's it's so oh so God, weird. It's, it's not a not film. Yeah, and it's not a good movie at all, but it's so fascinating. And the weird thing is, even though this is like the weirdest movie on the set, a lot of the stuff in this movie became iconic for Bruce Lee because you know the 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 yellow and black tracksuit he wears in here is the same tracksuit that Quentin Tarantino had Uma Thurman wear in in Kill Bill, uh, the movie where he fights uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's this movie. So it, it, it's so strange to me that the movie that Bruce Lee himself actually isn't in is the one that sort of became the most iconic after Way of the Dragon. But anyway, I, I went very long on here. I'm sorry about that. But uh, it boils down to this. I was only casually familiar with Bruce Lee and watching this set, I really fully understood why he was such a big deal because he had such charisma and not just in the fighting, just his acting in general, because because he had worked in America for so long, he brought this American swagger to Hong Kong films and none of the other actors in the films with him have that same swagger. So he just really stands out. So if, you know, if you're a fan of Bruce Lee or if you're like me and only casually familiar with him, I can't recommend this enough because it's both just for fans and for people like me who want to understand why Bruce Lee was a big deal. And, and that's available now. And Barnes and Noble is currently having a 50% off criterion sale. So now is the time to buy that if you're looking to buy it. So is this only available as the box set, like the physical box set, or can you go on Criterion Channel and see some of this? Yeah, for now, it's only the box set. Every once in a while, Criterion Channel does put their new releases onto there, so some of these might end up streaming there. But uh, I, uh, you know, if you're into physical media as I am, I really recommend this because it's really cool and it has great special features. Uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a must-have, I would say. A must-have. Okay, Ben, what have you been watching this past week? Um, I, I've got to be honest. I'm just like, I, I'm sort of reeling from Chris's description there. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking about what that would look like in a modern context. Like the idea that like Heath Ledger died and then like studios would really like, <laughs> like create an entire genre based on trying to trick people into thinking that he was in movie. Like, it's just so crazy that that's a real thing that happened. Um, sorry. Okay. I, that was just a, I've never really thought about it that way and then like heard it laid out like that because like Chris, I, I also have only seen um, Enter the Dragon and that was a long time ago. So I, I, I think uh, Chris's uh, description of that Bruce, uh, of that uh, uh, box set made me want to check that out. So um, anyway, uh, I have been watching Wet Hot American Summer, which is not available streaming anywhere. I was, so uh, Netflix has two follow-up shows that they made that are sort of set in the wet hot american summer universe and for a long time the original movie which came out in i think 2001 um was also on netflix so i just assumed that it was like you know these shows are there so why wouldn't netflix just pay for the licensing to constantly have the original movie there right next to these shows and they did not do that so i guess the the licensing lapsed or whatever so uh i had to go to amazon and buy this movie but it ended up only costing me like a dollar or something to buy it because it was, I think they were, it was on sale for $4.99 and there was some additional sale on top of that or something. So anyway, if you want to buy Wet Hot American Summer, you can do it for very cheap on Amazon right now. Uh, this movie, I, I suspect a lot of people have seen this. Everybody probably knows uh, this movie came out in 2001. It's uh, written and directed by David Wayne. Or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, David Wayne directed it. It was written also by uh, Michael Showalter. And it has, you know, just one of the great uh, up and coming casts. 
uh, ever put, you know, put to film. It's, it's, it's tons of people who would go on to become major, major stars, Bradley Cooper, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Paul Rudd, um, you know, the, the list goes on. And, uh, my wife and I were both after having seen Palm Springs, I think we were both sort of in like a summer movie kind of mood and, uh, wet hot American summer really fit the bill for us. So we watched the movie and then, um, I, I actually like, uh, wet hot American summer first day of camp, which is the 2015, series which is a prequel to the movie i like that i think more than the movie itself and that is streaming on netflix right now so we just immediately rolled right into that and stayed up until i don't know midnight or something watching every single episode in the series i think there's only eight episodes and they're like uh, 30 ish minutes so it's like a what is that a, a four hour uh commitment um but it, it's a really rewarding experience i think watching the movie and then this uh, prequel series back to back because the show is so so fun. I mean, the movie is a classic for a reason. It's it's uh, absurdist and ridiculous and great in in all the right ways. And the the show First Day of Camp I think really elevates that and enhances the movie and is one of those rare prequels that um, that makes the movie better and and doesn't feel too much like a retread and it, it recontextualizes a lot of things and answers questions that you didn't think you wanted the answers to and, and questions that you didn't even know that you had. Um, and, uh, man, it's just, it's so, so funny. So, um, yeah, you can check that out at those places that I mentioned. I, I watched the, um, what is it called? Uh, 10 years later, wet hot American summer, 10 years later, which is the second Netflix series, um, right when that came out. And I just didn't really care for that one as much. I, I feel like it was a little bit of diminishing returns there. Um, but, uh, Chris Pine is in first day of camp as this mysterious musician character. And I really enjoyed his performance in, in that show. So um, I don't know anybody here, a, a big wet hot fan. Oh yeah. I, I love the movie. And, and like you, I think that the prequel series is better than the follow-up series I did not really care for the follow-up one, the, the sequel one, the 10 years later one, but that prequel series is, is a delight because it's just so, uh, my favorite part about it is that it's supposed to be a prequel, but they don't even try and hide the fact that all the actors are like older and at like Michael Showalter is like 30 pounds heavier than he is in the, in the movie, even though they're supposed to be, it's supposed to be set like a few days before the movie. So it's just, it's just so absurd. that I, I love it. Yeah. I also yeah, love uh, the what had American summer stuff. I, I love anything that Wayne and Showalter and Michael and black do together. And I love it's I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the, it's the prequel series where, it's clear they couldn't probably get Bradley Cooper as much as they needed him for. So they have, they have like his character, um, like his, the, the face is obscured for a lot of scenes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment where, uh, he talks to Michael Ian Black and he's like, all right, I'll meet you over there. I'll be wearing this mask. And they like, <laughs> they talk about, they like go back and forth several times about like, you're going to be wearing that mask. Right. And he's like, yeah, me. Yeah. I'm going to be wearing this mask. And then like, he's like DJing a party, wearing a mask. And it's, and I think they do a voiceover where it's like, it's me, Ben, which is his <laughs> yeah. character name. And it's like, it's so clear that he's not in the room, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really great. So, uh, wet hot American summer first day of camp is, is the big recommendation of, of all of the above. But, um, yeah, that's, that's some great stuff there. And then also speaking of good stuff, I, I watched The Right Stuff for the first time, which is on HBO Max right now. This is a 1983 movie that is written and directed by Philip Kaufman. And uh, The Right Stuff is, it's an astronaut movie. It's about the Mercury 7, the seven pilots who 
were basically selected to be uh, the, the first astronauts to go into space. And I had heard of this movie, but I'd never seen it. And um, watching it now for the first time, I, I think there's a Disney Plus TV adaptation of it coming up. Um, but I, I just wanted to, to check out the movie and sort of cross it off my list and, and see what all the, the hype was about. Because the movie was nominated for eight Oscars when it came out in 83 uh, and won four of them. Uh, even though it was a, a box office bomb at the time, it only made $21 million uh, and it had a $27 million budget. So uh, not exactly ideal. But um, I, I really enjoyed this film. I, I think uh, Philip Kaufman is a guy that I didn't really know too much about, the writer-director of this. I think he... I guess maybe for our listeners and, and readers, he might be, you might recognize his name as like one of the people who helped write uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he has a story credit on that, but um, his directing career is not populated with tons of things that I was super familiar with. Um, so it, it was sort of like a blank slate going into this movie. And uh, as a, an astronaut drama, I, I felt like this movie really um, established a template that a lot of, you know, serious uh, history-based astronaut dramas have followed in the years since. I feel like there would be no first man without this movie. There might not be an Apollo 13 without this movie. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think, is like the the granddaddy of like uh, movies that were ahead of their time and, and you know, hugely influential in terms of um, the, the space genre, if you want to call it that. But I really think the right stuff is is right up there next to it in terms of just like uh, the establishing the the story structure for you know introducing these hotshot pilots and and following them as they're you know flying test planes and all that stuff and then like going through training and and even like the aesthetics of the movie have been copied and and you know uh, other other directors have put their spin on. Um, moments and stuff from this movie, like the the shot uh, in Armageddon with the the whole crew walking down this long hallway in super slow motion, is basically just ripped straight out of this movie, um, which I, I didn't realize before because I'd never seen this movie. So uh, yeah, the right stuff is on HBO Max right now. I would definitely say it's worth watching. It is three three hours and thirteen minutes long, I think, so it's very long. Um, but uh, I, I found it to be pretty compelling all the way through. I guess the only downside that I saw to it was uh, the Mercury seven. Obviously there's seven guys and the movie really only spends time on five out of the seven uh, Lance Henriksen and Scott Paulin play two of the other guys. And they're like barely even mentioned, even though they're in a lot of the group shots with the, with the seven and the movie really like sort of drills in on a lot of the other five guys. And, and um, you know, it really sort of gives them the, the treatment that they deserve, I think. And then these other guys are just, I don't know what happened. They just like ran out of time or, or money or what, but um, those other guys were just like basically left hanging out in the wind. So I, I sort of feel bad for the the two other astronauts who uh, were not given their due at all in this movie. But um, there's a young Jeff Goldblum in here, a young Harry Shearer pops up in this movie. So uh, there's some, some good moments in here uh, for sure. And it's definitely um, instructive in terms of like, uh, yeah, anybody who, who likes space movies and, and uh, movies that came after this, I think you'll find a lot to enjoy in this. Yeah, I would definitely hi- highly recommend uh, the right stuff. Are, are you interested at all after seeing this and watching? There's going to be a new TV series on, I think, National Geographic on Disney Plus. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of what what eventually or, or what ultimately spurred me on to watching this. Um, I, I guess it, it does make more sense to uh, to 
fit this story into a TV format because the movie is so long and because the the story is like, uh, you know, that it's like you can see the episode divider lines, you know, as you're watching this movie, there's like the training, you know, section of the story. There's like the, the introductions of each person and, uh, you know, the first attempt at the mission and that kind of thing. Like, you know, the, it's very episodic. Um, so I guess it makes sense that way. I, I haven't looked into anything about the casting or any of that stuff, but that's a really great part of this movie is like Ed Harris and Scott Glenn and Sam Shepard and Fred Ward and Dennis Quaid are in this thing. So it's really enjoyable to watch these, you know, uh, who we think of now as like grizzled actors being a little bit younger, a little bit more fresh faced and, and having, you know, tons of, uh, of chemistry and, and, um, you know, electricity on screen. And I can very easily seeing, see, you know, especially on Disney plus them just sort of sanding away all of the, the uh, edges that made those guys interesting performers at the, you know, back then and picking, you know, guys who would be in suits or something that are, you know, just interchangeable bland people who I, I, <laughs> you know, would not be as interested in, in paying attention to and following, but um, yeah, we'll have to see uh, how that goes. Okay. Uh, HT, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching The Alienist, The Angel of Darkness, which is the follow-up season to The Alienist, TNT's crime drama based on the books by Caleb Carr uh, and stars Daniel Bruhl, Dakota Fanning, and Luke Evans in this 19th century story of the early days of criminal profiling um, and uh, how it's used to catch serial killers in 19th century, uh, late 19th century New York. And um, I was a big fan of The Alienist when it came out in 2018, but I feel like it was dismissed by a lot of people who were kind of expect expecting it to be um, like 19th century true detective. And people were kind of looking for that true detective replacement at the time because that was when the lull in popularity for true detective was kind of happening and people were looking for something that was similar or, um, you know, another prestige drama to take its place. And The Alienist, despite, you know, its period drama setting and uh, its great cast, isn't really a prestige drama. It's a bit more pulpy and I might even say soapy than that. Um, the first season followed the um, Daniel Brühl's Alienist, which is the early word for a psychologist. Uh, he's a psychologist child psychologist, um, because um, at the time, early belief was that people who were mentally challenged or disabled were alienated from their true selves. So that was like the general term for people who, pra who practice psychology or psychiatry. And um, he kind of teams up with the police force, the New York police force, which is headed by Teddy, uh, yes, uh, yeah, Teddy, Ro Teddy Roosevelt. That's what it is. Yeah. In the first season, it was great seeing like Teddy Roosevelt uh, as a character in this drama. And uh, he um, kind of teams up with them and starts to track down the serial killer that the New York Police Department is trying to find who is targeting young child young boy prostitutes and it's very grisly and macabre and I, I really enjoyed it and like you know there's a bit of a soapy elements to it too which um also kind of lent to this almost camp element of it I, I guess I would the best comparison I can make to it is maybe in terms of uh the tone that it strikes Hannibal which is uh it kind of shares that same sort of morbid camp element if that makes sense i just i think that like my enjoyment of, of hannibal uh, felt very similar to my enjoyment of the first season of the alienist and um 
So, Alienist, season one, great. The Alienist Angel, Angel of Darkness is good too. Um, not as good as uh, the first season of The Alienist. It kind of puts Daniel Brühl's character into the backdrop and makes it more about Dakota Fanning, who is actually, he was fantastic in this. I was really pleasantly surprised. I remember at the beginning of the of the series, she kind of has very wooden um, performance, but I think that was actually more in line with the, the sort of stoic character she plays as this aspiring policewoman, and in this season, a private detective. And um, she kind of takes the lead in the series, which in which she and um, a Daniel, Daniel Bull's character and Luke Evans' character, who's a newspaper man, uh, chase a um, a person who is kidnapping babies and leaving grotesque clues uh, and in the form of dolls. Uh, scattered around New York. And um, it's definitely toned down some of that grisliness, that macabre feeling that it had in the first season. It feels kind of more like a straightforward detective story, uh, which isn't bad because I really enjoy the characters and the characters are just as fun to watch as before. Um, but I was, I was missing a little bit of that. And I feel like it's while it's still quite gory in a lot of senses, and it has that seedy New York underbelly tone to unlike, you know, that gaslight type of um tone in 19th century new york uh it's uh it, yeah it feels a little bit more standard i think just because dakota fanning's character is a private detective so the show kind of shapes itself around how she investigates the um the crime versus uh Jane Brule's character uh laszlo and his more unorthodox methods so um yeah but season two uh the alienist agent of darkness angel of darkness is good it premieres on tnt this sun saturday or sunday uh this weekend um and uh i i recommend it and especially if you enjoyed the first season and are looking for a um not a true detective replacement per se but a good macabre crime story crime drama um i highly recommend and also if you want to see daniel rule playing someone who's not a nazi this time which is something i really enjoyed <laughs> for once i am a big fan of daniel Brühl. i saw him in um uh, uh what's that goodbye lenin uh it's a great uh german coming of age film and he's so young and so fun in it and actually in germany he's known more as being sort of a boy next door type of star which is why when he he crossed over to the u.s he wanted to take on more um sinister villain roles and he kind of got typecast in those kind of roles and i really enjoyed that he's playing more of a heroic type although he's still very much that um brooding awkward um uh byronic sort of character in this and luke evans is also playing against type as the more sensitive character too so i, I like that sort of dynamic as well um but yes Dan Brule is great in, the, is the, in this, and um, The Alienist Angel of Darkness is uh, recommended. Cool. And uh, wh- where can you find that? Uh, it's The first season is actually streaming on HBO Max now. And the second season, I don't know if it'll be streaming anywhere as it's premiering on TNT, but it will be airing on TNT this weekend. Okay, cool. And what else have you been watching? I rewatched Pride and Prejudice. Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, uh, exactly. Um, the 2005 film starring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. And it was kind of inspired by a conversation that I had recently with people who were talking about Pride and Prejudice for some reason. They were talking about the miniseries and how much better it was because it was a loyal adaptation. And it's a conversation that I've had over and over again with people who are just reverent of the miniseries which i've refused to watch well not refused i just never got around to it but 
maybe out of spite because I love the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice so much. And I kind of hold it up as my standard for Jane Austen adaptations. I feel like a lot of people write off the 2005 Joe Wright directed Pride and Prejudice just because it's so beautiful. It's so lush. It's so pretty. And it's so unapologetically romantic. And ah, that's the thing that I love the most about it. It feels so much like it's steeped in that emotion and that sweeping uh, sort of sense of loss of romance and love. And um, I feel like people kind of look down on it because Keira Knightley too is also quote unquote too, not too pretty for, um, too pretty for Elizabeth Bennet. But um, I I just love the 2005 Pride and Prejudice so much. And I think that it, it actually does tap into the, the romance inherent in Jane Austen's book. Um, I know I've talked a lot about how Jane Austen is secretly a great satirist and her social commentary and wry dialogue in her books are really underrated because people see her as, you know, a chiclet writer, despite being one of the foremost female writers in literature ever. And um, while I love had that wry sense of humor a lot. I do think that she, that Pride and Prejudice specifically, is just so utterly romantic. And I think that the 2005 film taps into that romance and evokes that feeling beyond her words that um, miniseries purists tend to uh, scoff at. So I'm not, I'm not, I didn't watch out of spite or anything, or just, you know, to, to make people <laughs> say, like, oh, hey, the movie is good, actually, though I did write about it in my quarantine stream and did title title it Pride and Prejudice the 2005 film is good actually but anyways that's my spiel people who call the 2005 Pride and Prejudice trash you know what you don't you don't I don't need you it's fine it's whatever okay so that's my rant I love the, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice it's just so utterly romantic so earnest and I absolutely love that and uh, it feels like a very lived in film too so um yeah if you haven't watched it or if you, you know, look down on it because people think that it's too shallow or too pretty or too beautiful, whatever. Yeah, I don't care H- about H- you. H-C, <laughs> HC, be like me. Tell those people to drop dead. You can drop dead. Yeah. But won't you guys feel bad if someone actually drops dead? Absolutely so. not. <laughs> Who cares? You'll never know. Yeah. How, how am I going to find out? What are they going to do? Call me? They're dead. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, I I apologize for uh, uh, plugging the the Ordinary Adventures YouTube channel so much in, in these water coolers, but it, it's honestly these days my life is just sitting in my house, and anything interesting I do is recorded and put in, put up on YouTube. So uh, that brings us to what I've been eating. Uh, this past week, I got this box from this company called Tri Treats. And they are an international snack mystery box where you can subscribe. I think it's like 15 or 25 bucks a month, depending on which one you get. And every month you get a box full of treats from a different part of the world. And the one that they sent us was treats from Croatia and Serbia, which I didn't even know what treats from Croatia and Serbia would even look like. But uh, this box is actually kind of interesting because it came with like, a card explaining all the treats, explaining like the history of Croatia and Serbia and why they're being grouped together. Apparently a lot of the tastes are kind of about the same and uh, telling you like, you know, uh, 
why they like this kind of candy and this kind of snack. And uh, we tried out all the food and we ate it for this YouTube video. I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, but it was quite good. And I would actually recommend this uh, company, Try Treats. Um, it's probably a good way to, you know, explore some of the international treats from around the world from, you know, the comfort of your own home. So, uh, Brad, have you ever thought about doing like a, a snack box of some kind? Like, if, I feel like you love trying to new it. kind of snacks um, from all over. I, just, I think that some of them seem like they're expensive for Brad. what you get. And, all, and like, I have a hard time paying like a higher amount of money for stuff that I'm not sure that I would like. Because most of the time I will, when I get snacks, I'll buy something that I think could be good, even if it sounds weird. So that way, if I'm disappointed, you know, it's it's really my own fault. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. But like like I said, you know, the, the price point does come into consideration. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I would recommend this. I feel like you get a lot for I think we got the twenty five dollar box, which is like the premium box they sent us. They sent it to us for free. So I, I you know, disclaimer there, but we weren't paid to, uh, you know, make this video or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess I could see like getting a box of candy. Like, you know, if like they sent me like some snacks and stuff that was all like shrimp chips and stuff like that, maybe I'd be like upset. But like everything we got was actually very good. It was if I have one complaint, the box that we got was like way more heavy on like chocolate than anything else but maybe that's just the taste of you know croatia and serbia um so, i tried yeah. a so new version of apple uh, jacks Brett, that is available it's caramel apple jacks um and i will say that the the smell of caramel uh is stronger than the actual taste of caramel when you actually get the cereal like in milk and start eating it um it's definitely different from regular apple jacks and uh but I think that the overall caramel apple flavor is is more subtle, I guess, uh, than I was anticipating based on how strong the cereal smells of caramel. Um, but it's it's not bad if you're looking just to just to change it up a little bit. If you're an Apple Jacks, you know, lover and want to try something new, they're all right. Um, also on the apple spectrum, uh, Kit Kat has a uh, Kit Kat has a new apple pie flavor, um, which is uh, white chocolate and has like the flavor of apple pie. Um, and this is one of the best uh, new Kit Kat flavors that I've tried. Um, it, it almost tastes more like uh, Apple Crisp, if you've ever had Apple Crisp, um, uh, which is like a, it's kind of like apple pie, except rather than having pie crust, it's like a um, like a uh, crunchy oatmeal um, layer that you put on top of uh, what would usually be like apple pie um filling essentially uh but they're 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 really really good they're the, the crisp is there the apple flavor is there and the white chocolate um really uh makes it work even better uh together as a flavor so those i think are only available at walmart um and i had a, a little bit of a hard time finding them but i think that maybe that only just because they're just now starting to roll out everywhere but they're very very good uh and then there's a uh Cinnamon Toast Crunch flavored ice cream, like actual Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the brand cereal flavored ice cream, not just like this is kind of like Cinnamon Toast Crunch in ice cream. And uh, it's very good. We um, we had it um, with a Bananas Foster recipe that we made uh, after dinner one time last weekend. And mixing that ice cream with Bananas Foster was absolutely delicious. But the ice cream by itself is great because the cereal chunks in it are pretty 
uh, substantial and it has a good cinnamon flavor mixed with the uh, vanilla ice cream. Okay, cool. And uh, let's move on to what we've been playing. Jacob, what have you been playing? Uh, it was a side effect of taking a year off of Twitter, which is what I'm currently doing, 12 months away, uh, is I have a lot more free time. I have so much free time that I've been uh, – I started an online RPG club where I invited a bunch of people, anybody who wanted to, to come play RPGs on Zoom and enough people to form two groups. So – Weekend. Uh, last weekend, we had our first uh, Session Zeros, which is where you create characters and build your world and establish rules and boundaries. And this weekend, on Saturday and on Sunday, I'm running games. I'm running a game of Blades in the Dark on Saturday, which is a fantasy horror crime game. Uh, and then I am running uh, Alien, based on the film franchise, on Sunday. Uh, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be you guys next week as the house goes. But um, it's like I have been building Google Docs. I've been building plans. I've been just... Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been, it's been really fun to like, focus on a project again. I even got Brad to play. Brad, Brad's, Brad's in the Blades in the Dark game, so he'll be able to tell you how terrible yeah, or am. wonderful I, um, I am at running an RPG. Are you, are you, are you excited, RPG Brad? I'm, I'm really excited. School, if you get I tried it. Dungeons and & Dragons, and the Dungeon Master was not exciting. Didn't really seem like to know how to make it fun or engaging in any way. And I've seen various, you know, like uh, Dungeons & Dragons games, other RPG games, you know, become you know, viral sensations on podcasts and web series and stuff like that. And they all seem like they're having a really good time and fun. I'm like, Oh, I would love to do that. And you know, uh, haven't, haven't, <laughs> no, you, you, you have an extensive knowledge of this kind of stuff. You know how to run games. The, the You're a very creative person. On, so I know the like you know how to make, make a fun story and, uh, make these games really fun. Obviously you've done it with people before. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what it's like to have somebody experienced, uh, and creative do something like this. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm 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 very excited. They're both story based games, so they're very they're very heavy on creative thought, improv, thinking in the moment, as opposed to roll a d six and then a d three and then a d twenty to decide if you can attack or not. Like that's that's D and D, and D and D is fun. But uh, the games you'll be playing are very much like let's make a movie together. Like it's almost like we're a writer's room. We each can control our own section of the story. So I, I I'm very excited. I've I'm you know I've been doing my D and D game on Zoom for the past few months, but being able to run my own stuff again. This is what I really love. I love being a player, but I love running the games even more. So uh, update next week as to how this goes. Maybe some tips if you want to run your own uh, games. Uh, look for that. Well, cool. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Monday, Peter. Good podcast, everybody. Good, good, good job, Peter. Peter, I, I have some very bad news. Um, what, what's the? I mean, can we have good news? The, the bad news is that I've opened a gantry book of insult, offense, and affrontery, sharp retorts, repost, cost equips, implied put down by Louis A. Safian, to page two hundred eight, a section that I was hoping we could avoid for a long time, uh, because I don't think it's going to do any of us any good to read from it. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> This section is wives. Um, <laughs> By the way, I love that you think that some of these sections have done us good. Oh, most of them do. I think Louis Asafian, like many great Americans, uh, has you know some some issues that prevent him from being lionized. We, we shouldn't we shouldn't build a statue of Louis Asafian, but we should at least have a plaque in Central Park. You know, it's, um, 
<laughs> anyway, Peter. So tear it down again. <laughs> uh, Peter is very gifted. He uh, he has the bills to prove it. I I don't even understand the joke. You're very gifted, and you have the you're very gifted, and you have the bills to prove it. Oh, it's the same because I'm like a wife, and I'm buying all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. wives. Not about like insulting our wives. No, uh, oh. HT, you're a human dynamo. You charge everything. Ah. <laughs> Chris, he can bring more bills into the house than a congressman. Oh, shucks. Brad. Jacob, I, I, well, I think Chris, this book is nowadays. sexist. Brad, his upkeep will be his downfall. Ben, his clothes make him and break him. <laughs> Love it. Uh, here's one. Um... This is one that actually has to be for somebody who has a wife, so I'll, I'll go with Chris. He'll soon be <laughs> destitute because she's destitute. Oh, dear. And Ben, the way your wife can spend money, you should become a counterfeiter. <laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> for the record, this is from a subsection called the Getter Half, which is about wives who spend money. There's also a section called Strayers about wives who sleep wow. around. Wow. A section called Housekeepers, wow. Babblers about women who talk too much. A, section, a section called The Ball and Chain. Oh no! I mean, I think Wait, is, is there a section of wives that are just like good wives that are like that help make me a better person? Clearly, that's the Ball and Chain. <laughs> Yeah, uh, when, 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 you're not, I know you're not married to Kitra, but when you first met her, you could have eaten her alive. Now you're sorry you didn't. 